Morning. It's a great morning, isn't it? I hope you feel that way. It is a great morning, a wonderful time for us to rejoice and give thanks to God for what He is doing in our lives. Even in the midst of turmoil, we need to be reminded that God is working and doing great things. And we're going to be looking at a question today uh, asked by Jesus and surrounding, encompassing that question uh, is a scene in which we realize that God is evident and working even in the most dire of circumstances. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you carry them, don't you, everywhere that you go. Uh, you can either use the paper uh, form or if you have your some sort of PDA or phone, get that out because we're going to be using the Bible and I want to encourage you to read along with me. Uh, both now and then when we depart, take it with you and read it regularly. Uh, but I'm going to ask you if you have a bookmark. I guess I'm a little bit better than most of you because I have lots of bookmarks and they're colored. Uh, but you can get... Uh, uh, turn to Mark chapter 14, and you could bookmark it, or put your finger there, because we're going to be jumping around a little bit, because uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all cover this same uh, story that we're going to be looking at. We've uh, looked at a lot of different questions over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, what do you want is one of the questions that was asked by Jesus. Another one uh, that we that we just looked at recently, uh, as as late as uh, last week, uh, we talked about the question. Well, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? I'm going to put you on the spot. I just want to make sure that there's something that's being said somehow makes it to the following week. Duh was the answer, right? Do you want to be healed was the question that we asked last week and we thought the answer was duh, but actually it turned out to be a really valid question because some of us struggle with where we are in life and, and do we really want to get healed? Do we really want the touch from the maker, the healer to come into our lives or do we want to sit by the pool and sulk a little bit? This question uh, is a little bit uh, more of a rebuke than anything else. We're in Mark chapter 14, and I want to take just a moment and I want to recap very quickly what has previously occurred in the last few moments, uh, in both in Mark chapter 14 and we're going to be referencing Matthew chapter 26. But Jesus in Mark chapter 14 has just been anointed by a woman. She breaks open... Uh, this very expensive perfume, she begins to pour it upon Jesus' feet and she anoints him and there is um, speculation or uh, questioning as to why this woman would do such a, a hasty thing, that she would spend so much money. In fact, the Gospels record that not only Judas, who would betray Jesus, but the other disciples were indignant that this woman would be so wasteful in what she was doing. And I love Jesus' response as they're sitting there murmuring back and forth as to whether she did the right and godly and righteous thing. Jesus' response was, leave her alone. She's done a good thing. Now this is all really going to play in what's going to take place in just a few verses and the question we're going to look at. But after that, Judas 
agrees to betray Jesus, which I find quite odd. Just a few moments ago, uh, he was indignant that this woman uh, would be wasting this perfume on Jesus, yet in just a few verses, he would be betraying the one uh, that she had anointed. After Judas agrees to betray Jesus, uh, the Lord's Supper would take place. Jesus is going to have a couple of his disciples go on ahead. They're going to prepare a room, and then they're going to have the Lord's Supper in which he would take the bread and talk about that, and he would take the fruit of the vine, and he would talk about that how it was his blood. But even in the midst of that, he reminded them about the fact that, that they were going, that there was one in their midst that would betray. And the question was asked, it's not me, is it? Surely not I, Lord. And no one really quite understood except Judas and Jesus himself what was going on. After that, they would sing a song together and they would go out to the Mount of Olives. And once they were there, he began to speak to them again and he said, listen, all of you are going to fall away from me. And in verse 31 of Mark chapter 14, I find it interesting, the response of Peter. He says, emphatically, he insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter had drawn the line in the sand and said, I will not ever disown you. And Jesus says, well, you will. In fact, everybody else agreed that they wouldn't do that. So that kind of sets the scene for what's about to take place. They're at the Mount of Olives. Jesus has just now reminded them or or informed them that they would all run away. And they said, this is not going to happen. But Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, so much so that he became very sorrowful. And I want to pick up and spend a little bit of time reading. Uh, this is the Word of God, and I don't want you to hear it uh, from me. I want you to read it. So if you would, join me in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Pause for just a second. Uh, Matthew records this as saying, this is a place that they normally went to, that this is something that Jesus often did. So they went to the place of Gethsemane picking up, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. The Greek is a little interesting here. Word order is not that important, so you don't have to say it in a a certain sequence like we do in English. So if they put words in a different order, it oftentimes indicates something. And here, he would have said it like this in the Greek, Overwhelmed is my grief. Uh, He was saying it, Almost like Yoda might say something. He wanted to put emphasis on that very first word. Overwhelmed was the key word there. This is Jesus, Son of God, who is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further... Mark says a stone's throw away, he fell to the ground. And he prayed that if possible, 
the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's the word that he probably would have used. But for the readers to understand it, it's quite possible that they would have also included the word father in the Greek. So he's using two different languages, at least from Mark's account we have here. And he says this, Father, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Now, here's where I have a little question, so I want to have your help. Okay, so they were all at the, uh, the Lord's Supper together. Twelve of, them, Twelve of them were there, and then what happened next? Somebody left. Judas left. Okay, so Judas is now out of the scene. We now have Jesus and the eleven. After they had sung a song, they go out to the Mount of Olives. Who goes with them? All of them, except Judas. So we have Jesus and the eleven are there. After they're there, he's then going to break them apart even further. And who goes along with them? Peter, James, and John. Is this unusual? No, this has happened before. Transfiguration. Other times, uh, Jesus had some disciples in which he were closer to than others. He brought them even further along. But he became so troubled that he chose to go alone even further. So he has, one has left, then he leaves the eight, then he leaves the three, and now Jesus is all alone. Why would Jesus be alone right now? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that at this point, I'm, I kind of want to be surrounded by my friends. I mean, he understands what's, what's about to happen, but he chooses to go off and be alone. And then he makes this, this request of God. And, and Matthew reads a little different. It says, let this cup pass from me, period. It's almost like a command. I don't want to do this. But then he says, but not my will but your will be done. Let this cup pass from me. After having spent some time on his face, he fell down on his knees and he prayed. He got up. He went back to his disciples. And who did he go back to? Let's clarify that. Peter, James, and John. What are Peter, James, and John doing? They're doing what some of you do during my sermon. <laughs> they are checking to see if there's anything on the insides of their eyelids. They're sleeping. They're sleeping. What does Jesus say? What's the first word that he says? Somebody help me out here. Oh, no, we've got to go back. There's a word before that. Simon. Now wait, let me check this. Judas is gone, okay? He's, he's not doing good things. There are eight here, okay? 
I don't think I need to list them, but we know them all. And then we have the three here. Jesus comes back to the three and says what? Why does He say Simon? But what about James and John? Why didn't He list all three of them? Why not? Do what? Peter had insisted emphatically, I will never disown you, even to the point of death. This is just in verse 31, a few moments before. And here, what Jesus is saying, listen, if you say you're going to follow me to death, then don't sleep. This is, this is a powerful, powerful text. And in a minute, it's going to come crashing down in Hobbs, New Mexico. But I want you to hang on this for just a second. He points out Simon. And he says, why are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? In fact, in, the, in Mark it says, are you asleep? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that question being asked? Were they asleep? Yes. If you're asleep, uh, how, are, how well are you going to be able to answer that question? If you're asleep and somebody walks in and says, are you asleep? Surely, some of you have had your, your children come into the room at night. Daddy, Daddy, are you asleep? <laughs> nope, I was Jesus says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch over me for one hour? Now he's going to include something else. Notice this in verse 38, and this is really important. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Okay, so now he's thrown in the second command. First he says, watch. And now after he goes and prays, he comes back and he says, watch and pray. What do you suppose Jesus wanted them to pray for? Themselves? I mean, this is a tough question, right? Because Jesus knows what's going to happen. Not only does he know what's going to happen, he's actually verbalized it. Peter, you're going to disown me three times. The rest of you, all of you are going to fall away. He knows what's going to happen. He has prophesied as to what is going to happen. So why should they pray that they don't fall away when He's already said you're going to fall away? What did He expect them to pray for? Did, did, did He expect them to pray for Him? Why was it important that they pray? Why didn't He say, just stay awake. Watch out. I mean... Considering the circumstances, there's some other things that I would consider doing. You know, I might think this. I might think, hey, why don't you go watch over there? Because Judas is going to be coming pretty quickly. You know, Peter, get the sword ready because you're going to use it in a minute. Instead, he says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. So, 
If watching and praying would have kept them from falling to temptation, is it, did that logically happen? Did they watch and pray? Did they fall into temptation? Well, I think we know the rest of the story, but let's pick up and continue on. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. Uh, Matthew reads just a little bit differently. and In fact, if you don't mind, I told you, you need your bookmark. So bookmark Mark 14, flip over to Matthew chapter 26, because Jesus is going to go back a second time, and He's going to pray what Mark says, the same thing, and it is basically the same thing, but He words it just a little bit differently, and this to me just shows growth, even in His prayer between the first prayer and the second prayer. The first prayer he says is, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Oh, I'm, excuse me, I'm in the wrong verse. Um, he says in verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but your will be done. That was in Matthew twenty six thirty nine. He's going to go back again and in verse 42 and listen to how it's worded just a little bit differently. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The first time he says is, basically he's saying is, you know, May, may this cup be taken from me. But now the second one, he says, if, if I have to drink it, if I'm the one who has to do it, then I understand, but your will be done. This question is such a powerful question, but I think even harder is the thought that God in heaven heard it. Can you imagine that moment? As God in heaven hears the cry of His Son, of His boy, of His, His creation. How He sent Him down in the form of a human. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the silence, maybe the antsiness, of the angels as they await a reply. Go get him. We don't have to do it. These humans, they're really not worth it. God, look what they've done throughout history over and over again. I have an answer to that question. Take the cup. Don't let him drink it. You go and you take care of those humans and we don't ever have to deal with this again. God heard the, the plea, the cry of his son. And for you, he said, my son will drink it. Flipping back over to Mark chapter 14. It says, verse 39, it says, Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And there's one little sentence in here that really I, I, I find quite profound. The last sentence in verse 40 of Mark 14 says, They did not know what to say to him. 
Jesus had gone off to pray and warned them to watch. He came back and they were sleeping. He went away a second time. He went to pray, but before going, he says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. He leaves, he prays, he goes back. And they're sleeping. And their response was, they were speechless. I mean, what could they say? I mean, I said I would follow you even to death, but man, I'm just, I'm tired. You know, I think it's a, it's a reminder that, you know, before we come down too heavy on these guys, it had been a, it had been a long, long week. Just what had taken place, the conversation, all this confusion and talk of betrayal and denial. It's after midnight. It's dark. They've been left, just the three of them, while Jesus seems to be in sorrow and some sort of anguish. And it's a very serious moment and we just don't really know what's going on. And we're just, we're just a little overwhelmed. And so they fell asleep. Jesus goes back again a third time. And He prays. He comes back and says, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I want to ask this question. If if God scripted this, which He did, He planned it, this is how this was to happen. Why Gethsemane? Why even have it? What's the purpose? Why couldn't he have left? Why couldn't, why couldn't Judas like left and came right back to the place where they were eating? Why did God allow it as such that they would go to the Mount of Olives, he would talk to them, and then he would go to... Why would God allow Jesus to go through this the several hours of agony that he would go off and pray and he'd come back and they'd be sleeping and he'd go off and pray again and they'd come back and be sleeping and he'd go off and he'd pray and his, his, his sweat was like drops of blood. That anguish, that agony, why, why would God just say, ah, we don't need that? Why, why didn't he walk up Mount of Olives and as he's walking up there, all of a sudden, here comes Judas and they got him. Why don't they just take him then? Why would God choose to allow Gethsemane? What would be the purpose of it? Have you ever thought about that? Couldn't, couldn't they have gone without the questions? I mean, it would have saved the embarrassment of them sleeping. Jesus wouldn't have to go through that anguish. Just go ahead and take Him. Because God wanted all of creation to understand the anguish that he and his son would go through as he is in the garden alone.
and the question Jesus asked when he went back was, are you sleeping? I think he could throw in, which he could have said so many times, don't you get it? I mean, really, guys, don't you just get it? This is not piddly stuff. This is not, you know, I'm going to set up a kingdom, you know, here and it's going to last a little while. This is not, I like to, you know, get into arguments with the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. This is like life and death. This is the real stuff. This is what it comes down to. I want you to know that in just a few moments, I will choose to give up my life for you and for all of humanity. I'm going to be this sacrificial lamb. I'm going to be this perfect, spotless lamb that will die. I will be beaten. I will be spat upon. They will strip me down and they will put me on a cross. And I'm going to die the most humiliating and painful death. Can't you just wake up just for a little bit stay awake shame on those guys because I want you to know if I was in the garden I would not fall asleep and here Gethsemane lands right here Because Jesus begs the question of all of us. Are you asleep? Don't you understand what's going on? This isn't about government. This isn't about politics. This isn't about uh, money and, and raises and houses. We have people in this world who are dying. And my son gave everything so that they could live. And they just need to know about him and accept him. Are you awake? What are you doing? What what do you have on your agenda, in your calendar, that's more important than eternal life? I think it's interesting that Jesus pulls apart the three and then kind of really picks on Peter just a little bit. And you say, you know, that's not unfair. You know, Peter said, I'll do anything for you. You know what? We had this conversation in class this last Sunday. We were talking about Church 101, and the specific topic that we covered last week was baptism. And I I just was talking, and we were having some discussion about what does baptism really mean. And I I have my son who's interested in baptism, and we've talked about that. And boy, that's the most exciting and, and sometimes scary decision for him because we talked about it and he understands those things. I have a wonderful son. He gets all his good traits from his mother. And I, I love him and he says, you know what, I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, I, I just want you to know this. Here's what I want you to understand. This is what baptism means. It means that you die. It means that you tell God The things that are important to me are important. The things that I want don't matter anymore. Here's what's going to happen. You go down in that water and you die to yourself. Galatians, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I don't live anymore. 
you come up and Christ lives in you. And every decision that you make is based on whether it's good for the kingdom and it's what God wants in your life. So that means that the music that you listen to, the shows that you watch, the language that you use, how you treat other people, all of that is based on what God wants for you because you die to yourself and you no longer live for what you want but what God wants in your life. It is a change. So if you have been baptized, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Have you died to yourself? Okay. Jesus says this. Are you asleep? I mean, if you're going to say, I'll follow you even to death, Jesus is going to say, are you sleeping? Because we got people who are dying. You got a neighbor next door to you. That is broken. You've got people in the grocery store that you walk next to and they are living broken and lost lives. Some of us, we're living broken lives and we all need Jesus. And whose job is it? You know, Jesus picked on Peter When God comes back, do you know who He really wants to talk to? He has some pretty high expectations for His church, doesn't He? I mean, don't get me wrong, but let me tell you this. God did not institute the government to reach out to His people. He didn't create the United States of America, so that it would be the body which would imitate who He is. He didn't organize schools so that they could educate our children on who Jesus is. None of that. It's the church. We're the ones that are in the garden. We're the ones closest to Him. That while He is going through this pain so that we might have life, we're the ones right next to Him. And His question to us is, are we awake? Do we act like it? Are we living lives that proclaim Jesus as our risen Savior. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. For some of you, that has been your lifelong goal. is to be alive for Christ. And this morning, as you hear this, May you be encouraged by the thought that you are focused on the most important thing that could ever happen. And that's Jesus and what He did for you. But for some of us, we catch ourselves yawning and nodding off. I just, I want us to to be reminded, I want to remind myself that the most important thing that we will ever 
do has nothing to do with the things of this world. But it has to do with the promise of another world from a Savior who would leave it and come down for us. This morning, wake up. Wake up. Put a smile on your face and know that no matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, God's with us. I want to offer the invitation, as we often do, there will be an opportunity for those of you who need public prayers. We believe very strongly in prayer. We want to encourage you to take a moment. You can come forward and we'll pray with you. We'll lift you up in prayer. We, we've all been there. If you have a prayer that you need to, to have done in confidence, we'll have an elder at the back in our family room. You can go back there and they will assist you. Maybe somebody here wants to die. And we can bury you and you can come up with Jesus in your life. I want to close out with, with one more thought before we sing our song of invitation. There's lots of ways to respond. But I want to encourage you to do something that Jesus asked His disciples to do. He said, watch and pray. I think more than anything else, I want you to know I get more excited about this than anything else. I can't imagine... I cannot imagine what would happen in Hobbes if we all began fervently praying that God would allow renewal to take place in our lives and in the lives of others. I can't imagine it because God can do greater things than I can possibly imagine. This last Wednesday night, we participated in a prayer walk I don't know if any of you have done that before. We, we all pray. We pray often. We pray before meals and at night time. And sometimes, at least for me, it's, it's, it's hard to, to break out of the redundancy of some of the prayers that I pray the same thing. So we invited everyone to join in in a prayer walk in which we went to different parts of the building and we prayed for different areas. We went out here just outside this door and, and people prayed for government as they could see City Hall there to pray for the leaders that God would be glorified for our local and our state and our country, for the government, for President Obama and Congress. And we, we had an opportunity. And when we went, moved on and we went and we prayed in the family life room and we put, prayed for families and for children and for spouses and for parents, you know, that they would grow up and that, that it was in the house that God would be uh, re- revealed and and once again be held up. And then we moved over and we prayed for children. And then we, we prayed for schools as we went into the, the teacher's workroom. And, uh, and then we went into the, the elder's office and we prayed for church leaders that God would use them in their very humble state that He might be glorified. And then we moved over out in front and we prayed for the community because we prayed that God might be lifted up out in the community and for the lost and the broken and the hurting, those who are, who are sick and 
in pain and need the Lord that He would reveal Himself and somehow that He might use us. And then we met in here and we prayed for this church that God would be glorified when we met and when we went apart that we would be His hands and His feet. And so if there's anything I can ask you to do, if there's anything, we have about 200 people. Can you imagine... Can you imagine if this week all of us just committed to praying that God would do great things? Can you imagine what God would do? I can't. But wouldn't it be great? So as I've offered an invitation for you to respond this morning, I would encourage you to respond throughout this week. Watch and pray. Let God do great things and may He be glorified. If there's any other way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.